1948 work of science fiction set in a dystopia feels dangerously relevant today. Aldous Huxley's Ape in Essence was the jumping-off point for Gannon University's innovative original play titled Ape Essence. I'm Zach Flock, and this is Shop Talk, the Drama Shop podcast. Today I'm joined by Elena Manchester. She's Drama Shop's Associate Artistic Director. She's also a faculty member in Gannon University's School of Communication and the Arts and the director of the Schuster Theater production of Ape Essence. Elena, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Also joining us, we have Father Sean Clerken, Drama Shop Director Emeritus and the Director of Theater here at Gannon. Sean, what are your other titles? I always get them wrong. Um, Actor of the Century, according to... (laughs) False. False, false. Actor of the Year. Thank you, Erie Reader. Um, I actually, I'm uh, Director of Liberal Studies here. I'm also uh, active uh, in in a couple of other community theaters and other arts initiatives in, in the community. Yeah. There we go. Thanks for joining us, Sean. Thanks for having me. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk Ape Essence. Um, Elena, you know, when a lot of people think about the process of producing a show, for most folks, that process really starts when they pick up a script. Right. This process, though, started a lot earlier than that. Correct, yes. Tell us a little bit about how this came to be. Sure. Well, uh, the... The book, the source material, Ape and Essence by Aldous Huxley, Uh, Sean was really drawn to that, and I'll let him talk more about that part, but he was drawn to that, he knew that there was something here, and that it was rife with themes that were were contemporary. So we ended up uh, looking at it and agreeing that, yeah, there is something here, and then for about a year, we kind of let it incubate a bit. Uh, We ended up getting a first treatment from Sean um, that we then got together our volunteers of who wanted to be a part of this program. It was interesting. We didn't have auditions so much as who wants to do it Um, and go on this trip to the Scottish Fringe Festival, which is the largest arts festival in the world. So we took these actors and these non-actors and these just human people and we took this first treatment and the source material and some other work by Aldous Huxley and we smashed it all the bits, and we mixed it all up, and we then saw what we had, and then started talking about what was happening, uh, going on in the public sphere, what was going on politically, uh, and what just mattered to people, what was kind of in the zeitgeist. Then we put it all together and came up with a show. So let's jump back then to that to that treatment, to that first version of the script, Sean, that you created. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that process and how you arrived at it? Well, when I was in graduate school, it. At uh, Virginia Commonwealth University, Richmond, Virginia, back in the 1980s, (laughs) I had an opportunity to, uh, uh, summer times were always like, you don't want to think about theater. When you're studying theater, it's like the last thing you want to do. So my summers I spent trying to read things, and I love lists, and I found this book called 99 Best Novels. Uh, written by Anthony Burgess, of all people, Clockwork Orange fame. And he listed what he thought were the 99 most important novels of the 20th century written in English. And there were about 97 novels I was not familiar with. And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to make it my life's goal to read every one of these novels. I've uh, made it through about 10. Um, (laughs) You'll get there. I'll get there. It's still on my my list. And I I actually then came across Aldous Huxley's uh, Ape Ape Essence. And it was called Ape and Essence, of course. Um, it was, it's just, I love the fact that it was a story, it was a screenplay within a story, within a, within a framework that Huxley himself was trying to um, reflect on. And so, uh, so I, I really enjoyed it, and I thought, it, I thought there was something theatrical about it. it was, um, it's about a uh, group of New, New, New Zealanders who go on a trip around the world after the nuclear holocaust, World War III. 
And they end up in the, on the coast of Southern California, where they discover a mutant group of uh, humans, uh, Americans who have survived the Holocaust, but they are actually modified uh, because of nuclear uh, nuclear um, radiation. And so some of them have m multiple fingers, some of them have uh, multiple ports for um, lactation. Uh, so I, I thought that was a very nice specific way of detail it, right? to add. Um, and so what happens is they come across that, and then there's this love interest, and I just thought it was so ridiculous. The, the, the philosophy. For example, um, Americans decide that the devil beats out God because after the nuclear holocaust, clearly God did not take care of uh, humanity the way that God had promised, and so the devil must have won. So they all become worshippers of Baal. Um, and so it is a, it's just a very peculiar and provocative um, darkly comic and sometimes not funny at all story. Uh, and so I sat on that well, gosh, for the past 20 years or so. And then a couple of years ago, after we had our second trip back to the uh, Edinburgh Fringe Festival, uh, we first started going in 2011. We went again in 2014. Um, we performed the first year uh, Cotton Patch Gospel, and the reviewers there gave us two stars and said, if you love Glee and you love Godspell, you'll love Cotton Patch Gospel. And we were like, oh. And it was, it was well attended, but um, it's not necessarily fringe material. I mean, when we talk about fringe, we're really talking about cutting edge. We're talking about uh, reduced production aspects, but an extreme focus on the performance aspects of the show. The second year we went, we took uh, a Grimm's Fairy Tale, Whimsical Grimm, and that actually did very well. We got a three-star review on that one. And then with this Ape Essence, we, we really targeted and said, what do we need to do that's going to be fringe uh, a French friendly uh, draw audiences. There's a hundred thousand people in Edinburgh for the three weeks of the French festival, and you need to draw an audience. And yeah. So, Ape Essence was the thing that we we decided would really draw, and it did. We got a four star review from British Theatre Magazine, which was unprecedented. Um, we uh, also had opportunity, like excellent audiences and really excellent support from from the community there. So, I mean, the average French audience is anywhere between ten and eleven people, and we we exceeded that uh, with some of the performances were actually over 30, 30 people in the yeah. audience. Yeah. So that's so we had an excellent response. So Sean, you then hand off the script to Elena. I and kind of step away of it. I absolutely <laughs> stepped away. I, I did an, uh, uh, kind of a, a pretty faithful treatment of it. I went back to the original novel and essentially took it and put it into dramatic form, into dialogue form, um, and uh, tried to suggest enough of the depictions of the of the scenes and the locations that um, that uh, Huxley had given us, but not much of that. I mean, it really was about what were these what were what were the characters saying to one another. Um, I, I will say that the, the script as performed right now is probably less than 30% of Huxley and a whole lot of other things that are in there now too. So Elena, pick it up from there. Yeah. You know, you're then handed the script. Yes. And in a lot of ways say this is a guide, this is not... Kind of. I mean, what Sean did really well for us was crack open the idea of a structure of that it was... We were stuck on... How do we tell this story? And that was also the answer. How do people tell this story? And what is storytelling? And what is theater if not storytelling? And why would a group of people choose to tell this story of any story? And when we started working together, it was right after the election. And it was when the, the vernacular of the wall was being talked about. That was what got certain people elected, was right. this idea of a wall. And also what we were talking about was refugees. The The Syrian refugee crisis was what was being talked about. Mm -hmm. So we've got refugees who, I think it was right when we started rehearsal, the first travel ban happened. Right. And so now we have like the, the thought of these displaced people 
unable to go home and now not able to go to safety, which is kind of what's happening in the play, uh, the, the, excuse me, the book in a way. So we took this idea of a group of people telling stories. And again, why would you choose to tell this story? It's not uplifting. It's necessarily, um, why, so we had to start creating this narrative as to why they would tell this story and um, this idea of walls started coming up, so to speak, again. And so it's a group of people and they're, 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 they're somewhere in the not too distant future and they are telling this story as some part of ritual or some part of game and um, just like any sort of agreed upon tradition, like you go to Thanksgiving and you know that like so-and-so is going to bring the turkey and so-and-so is going to bring mashed potatoes and they're going to be disgusting every year, but we pretend <laughs> to eat them anyways. And like there are parts of the tradition you love. There's parts of the tradition you loathe, but you do it because it's tradition. That's what this story became for this group of displaced people. It was their tradition. It was their ritual. Um, we also, you know, anytime you're building an ensemble, um, there are ways you can do that. And one of the ways that I like to do that is with games. So we played a lot of games, and some of those games kind of filled a purpose in what we were writing. And so we're like, well, games become, in the theater anyway, they become a tradition. They become a ritual. Certain acting teachers or directors will always play Zip Zap, which mm-hmm. is a theater game. You point at people and you zip and you zap. Um, there are, so we started talking about, well, when is a game fun? And when is a game not fun? And it has a lot to do with the voluntary aspect of a game. If you have a group of people and they're voluntarily following arbitrary rules, that's a game. If they are not following those rules because they want to, it's no longer a game. It's something else. And so we started looking at kids' games. And um, there's some <clears throat> games in there that are not that do not have the best origins, that have some pretty scary origins when you like talk about the words of the game and the words of the nursery rhymes and stuff like that. Can I you give us an example? Sure. Um, uh, Ring Around the Rosy, uh, as a lot of people know, have are is about the plague. Right. It's about um, the Black Death and that kind of thing. And Get ashes, out. ashes. I know, right? I thought it was about <laughs> flowers. <laughs> yeah, it's not. I don't believe um, you. <laughs> we also sing um, Mama's Little Baby got shortened and shortened, which has uh, really harsh uh, racial implications if you look at the words, the original words and the original translations. Um, We've got an eeny, meeny, miny, moe in there now, and that's a newer edition, and and then the implications of that. So um, playing with ritual and uh, games kind of tied into the source material, kind of tied into politics and kind of their own thing. One of the things that really strikes me about the, the production as a whole is, is just how relevant it feels. But then to jump back to what Sean was saying, you know, this is a process or a, a project that for you guys really started 2015. Well, yeah. I mean, when we first had our conversation, we knew we were, our, our commitment is to go to the Edinburgh French Festival every three years. Uh, we'll be going back again in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the first year I went with Paula Barrett, who was teaching with us at the time, and uh, before her retirement, we miss Paula. Um, but at the same time, we uh, had an opportunity to take the first show. The next year, Jax and I went, and I think Paula actually accompanied that same trip with, um, with her husband, Michael, too. But this year, I knew I, I, I didn't want to go partially because I, I think it's important that that things are shared amongst the whole entire program, that nothing that we do belongs to any one person. It belongs to the program. And so Jackson and Elena uh, spearheaded this. Uh, but but you know, once we had our initial conversation, and we knew in 2017 we were going, and we thought about what could become something, and I also wanted to tap in, and I'm going to sing Elena's praises here, was to tap into her, create, her creativity. She does devise theater very well. She coaches acting and creative acting especially. Um, right now 
now we find ourselves in the 21st century, for example, in a place that Hans T. Sleeman, uh, a, a critic, uh, calls post-dramatic theater. Um, for, for centuries, it's always been the playwright, the dead white guy in the room, who has driven what we do on the stage. And then all of a sudden in the 20th century, and certainly into the 21st century, we're looking at a different, um, a different framework for theater. We're looking at the idea that theater doesn't really have to come from the printed page. Uh, the, the scripts now that we're working from, or the source material we're working from, becomes the, the diving board from which we leap into the pool of production. And so the idea of the playwright having some kind of reverential or extraordinary place, uh, even the way we're teaching, teaching directing now, we used to say that directing was about honoring the work of the playwright, make sure you understand what the playwright was doing. Uh, there are certainly some illegal implications for contemporary plays, but when it comes to classical work or work that is public domain, like uh, Ape Essence is public domain, um, we have license to, to be as creative as we want in the storytelling. What in the story has, has changed from that treatment to today because of where we find ourselves today as, as a culture? Um, you mean would, you, the, would you say that the same themes that were important or that jumped out when you first started formulating that treatment <laughs> are the same things that are relevant today or has, has the focus shifted as you put it in the hands of, of your company? Well, I think I think the year of popular nationalism. I'm not gonna I'm not mm. and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna stick any one person with shouldering the responsibility of that. Uh, I, certainly the, the majority of those who went to the polls last fall, uh, or two, two, uh, over a year ago now, it, it really was pushing for a sense of nationalism, isolationism. Uh, we got to take care of ourselves first before we take care of anybody else. That really had an effect on how the show pulled out certain aspects, not only of of uh, Huxley's work, but also of the interest of the cast and, and Elena's interest as well, uh, making it relevant and current with what's happening in society and American politics. Yeah, um, there is a one the the climactic moment of the play really is this ritual it's alluded to and we had to explore that ritual and we compared it to an explanation taken directly from the book that is all about nationalism while behind them is this very hedonistic sort of sexual violence ultra-violent thing happening behind them which is also framed within it's the group of people acting this out it's not real but uh, after, uh, through that we especially with a group of college students we talked about that moment and how you know at uh, how fun that moment is. It's a very like movement based and it's kind of naughty and it's and it's all this stuff. But we talked about how anything taken to the extreme can become dangerous. So just like we're talking about this nationalism and the man, basically, we also talked about how well, the opposite of that that anarchy can seem like a really great idea, but when it's taken to its most extreme, it is also not healthy and not a good idea. Um, and then that, there was a, there's a moment in the play where we paid homage to a, a second half of the ritual, which we don't show, which had to do with women and babies and war. And it's a very harsh part in the book. And we, we didn't feel comfortable showing it exactly. We didn't know how to tie it in. But we, we paid homage to it, and we explored this notion of it, and it never really read in our first treatment of it here before we left. And we got some feedback on it. We workshopped it a little bit before we took it to Scotland, and we kind of came up with this idea that it's a part of the ritual we can exploit, we can even say and use within the play, like, we don't do this part anymore. 
this is something we don't do anymore. But when, when certain members of the group, i.e. the women in our version, are gone, and there's one woman and a room full of men, and it's a war-torn country, and there's bad things happening, how good intentions can go awry. And that moment, though it, kind of, it, it paid homage to the original and it lived in its own sort of bubble, now that we are living in this new culture than a few months ago, in this very Me Too culture right. where we're talking about these things, that moment has a much different feel now. Yeah. It just does. And that's interesting. So this, you first performed about a year ago here in Erie at the Schuster Theater, mm-hmm. uh, then took it to Scotland in August, I believe? Yes, August So 17th. you made some changes between Erie and Scotland? Yep, yes, we got some feedback actually from representatives from the uh, KCACTF Festival. So you've had the opportunity, which is pretty unique for, for uh, volunteer theater, to present this play to two different you know, international audiences. What was the difference in response between yeah. in Erie versus in Scotland, where you had students not only from Scotland, but from around the world? Yeah, so I think that, I mean, part of it was that we definitely, so we've put this play on three times so far. This will be our fourth time. We did it Erie. We remounted in Erie after taking some time away. Mm-hmm. We then did it in Scotland, so this will be the fourth incarnation. And I would say that the Erie audiences versus international. International audiences were not only ready for this to break some of the conventions that we're used to, they expect it. And they want it, if it's going to be not proscenium theater where the actors sit on one side of the stage and and the audience is in the house and they never shall meet, they want it in your face. So that doesn't shock them. Uh, But here in Erie, sometimes that's not exactly what we're used to. So I think that the audience didn't know necessarily how to respond sometimes. There are some interactive parts where I would say in Scotland, they were like, yeah, let's let's participate. So much so that there were parts that were participating in that we didn't didn't necessarily know that was going to happen, which was awesome and wonderful. And, you know, the, the actors were flexible and athletic enough to roll with it. In Erie, though, I think they needed permission and that's our job to figure out a way to let the audience know, like, it's okay to play. Yeah. Like, we want you to play. And actually, we have some new ideas that we're going to try out for KCCTF to encourage that kind of. Well, I think it's great, too, because this is an audience of theater students. They are either theater majors or, like uh, like our students, are both theater majors and also majors of other uh, or, uh, other majors who are passionate about making theater and creating theater. I think it'll be fascinating to see how that group also responds. And they're also going to be hypercritical because even though we call it a showcase, all of the productions who are going to be featured at the um, regional level are in consideration for the National Festival in Washington, D.C. And so what's happening is there's an opportunity for there's some conversation there, too, to happen. So so there's a possibility that they're going to be a little critical. Yeah, think? yeah. No, I think so. I really dislike the idea of competition we in don't like theater. Theater. no we don't like competition in the arts it's just it seems so wrong well and and i i think you know <laughs> one of the other shows that will be showcased is waiting for godot yeah and to I to compare ape essence and waiting for godot but right? we have two very different seasons, shows right we're in award season right now this is not a new thing like right. we do this we want to pay respect and pay homage to people and any but any time you have any sort of award or in group, you have an out group. You have sure. people who didn't win. That's right. So I I do I dislike 
the notion of it, mostly because I don't like the message, the vibe that it can send to our student actors. So I make it a huge point. I did this last year, and we did. We definitely did it uh, to Scotland, and I hope we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna reiterate again. This is a theater festival. Yes, it's right. a competition. Right. But for us, it's a festival, and we're gonna go to everything, and we're going to be supportive of our brothers in arms, and then we can discuss. You know academically what we what we appreciated what we thought didn't serve yeah. the function of that theatrical piece but at no point do we leave something going well that was this and that was yeah and, and to like that it. point I, I think one could certainly watch this show and leave it saying I didn't like that oh yeah absolutely. but man was it really good sure you know? yeah, absolutely sure. And, and, and I heard that from people yeah from some of our playhouse friends for example oh yeah um, where where the closest seat in the audience is farther than the furthest seat in the shoes to share sure. you know what I mean so that sense of intimacy is very different but I've had people from there come here and say I it, it's not Annie but boy do I appreciate seeing something that's outside of what I normally would see in the Erie theater sure it is different and I don't think that it's different just for the sake of being different nothing there's nothing wrong with that but I do think that it serves a purpose I, I, I truly believe that the function and the material serve a function and a purpose so so be different. so now you mentioned this is going to be the fourth time performing it this this Saturday mm-hmm. at drama shop so again you've had some changes yeah again we had some changes and that's important I think I think it's important to keep changing or you're just you just go, it could become rote. There are parts, there are games, and so we're going to, for the first time in a while, play those games as opposed to act like we're playing those games. Okay. That, that may sound like the same thing, but it isn't. It'll keep it fresh and keep it different. Sure. Um, we may add, I, I want to devise something while we're there. I don't know if we're going to. <laughs> I don't know if that's allowed, but this is what we're going to do. We're going to get, we have, sub, we have students coming who are not in the show. But they're going to come, and they're going to come with costumes. And I want to create some sort of devised moment as people enter, so they already see the game, since it is a, it's a group of theater students, and maybe get the audience sort to Sort of play. bring them into that world Literally as soon as they bring arrive. them in, play with this, this supplemental cast, and then have members from the real cast end that in some way, that you now understand the relationship of who these outcasts are yeah. versus the in-group. And now the outcast will sit with the audience. And now the audience is like, are we the outcast group? Because they are, in a way. You're flipping the script. I am a bit. <laughs> so we're going to see if we're allowed to do that. Or we'll just do it. So <laughs> one final question on the subject of Ape Essence. And then yeah. we'll, we'll jump on to something else here really quickly. Um, but that final question would be, um, you know, I, I've... Elena, we've had this conversation before about we don't like to work on a production unless we feel like we as artists are growing or gaining something right. from that experience. So to both of you, what have you, what, if anything, have you learned from this experience? I, I have, I personally, I mean, I, I grew up in a theater that was dramatic based. And so this post-dramatic approach for me is novel, but I think it's also invigorating. I think like like anything, it has its strengths and it has its challenges, I think. But and I don't think it's going to become the new theater, but I think it is going to have a legitimate place in theater, just as improvisational comedy became uh, integrated and musical theater became integrated and uh, movement-based theater became integrated and, and high-tech uh, digital theater and uh, contributions became part of what we do. I think it's, I think it's exciting, though, to, to, to explore something that is surprising and um, and I love the fact, I really love the fact that our students embrace 
wasted. I mean, a lot of our kids come from high school programs that are that are doing comedies. Um, they're all doing Almost Maine, and they're all doing Hello, Dolly. And then they come here, and it's really nice that they have a chance to explore something that is goes beyond uh, expect, expected theater and, and and ignites their creativity. So I think that's that for me. That was a takeaway. Um, for me, I think just. Uh, reiterating the importance of delegation, of letting go, of allowing things to happen, allowing students to own something means allowing, watching them fail at things, uh, even if I have a solution, um, and, and watching them get to their own solutions. True collaboration is messy and it's painful, just like any birth. So a true collaboration is does not mean that somebody comes in in a hierarchical sense with all the answers and waits for everyone to kind of kind of figure it out and then be like, well, here's the real answer. That's sneaky and it's disrespectful. So it takes a lot of trust to go in there and say, I do not have the answer. They will have the answer. We will come up with it together. Um, so delegation and trust, I guess. All right. So the final thing I like to ask you here is our little segment that we call The List. <gasps> this is our recommendations for things you should read, see, or do to expand your viewpoint, challenge your mind, and feed your creative spirit. <gasps> Elena, what uh, do you add to the list? I'm currently listening to uh, Fire and Fury before I go to bed. It's delightful. Does that, do you find that calms you before <laughs> I bed? I do find <laughs> it quite satisfying and terrifying, but, you know, both sure. of those things. Uh, the Art of Asking by Amanda Palmer of the Dresden Dolls and of Amanda Effing Palmer. Uh, she's a great artist, and she uh, she's just she's married to Neil Gaiman, which isn't too bad of a gig either. And so I really like her ideas on what it means to be an artist and how you should charge for your work and how it is important to get paid. I think that's important. Also, I watched this BBC released a television show on Netflix called The End of the Effing World, which I really didn't want to like. It was based on a graphic novel, and I thought, no, this is just going to be manipulative and make me think of my <laughs> teenage years. It's so angsty. It is, and it does, and I love it. And it's very Tarantino-esque, uh, like Natural Born Killers meets like um, True Romance meets like a little kid show. That's a lot. It's a lot of meeting <laughs> happening. Um, but I really, it made me feel all the feels and cry. And there's some amazing acting in there. And the, the soundtrack's awesome. So those Check are my things. Check it out. Sean, anything for the list? I'm, I'm right now reading The Book of Joy by uh, Archbishop Desmond Tutu and the Dalai Lama in conversation there in their 80s. And they are reminding us of how important and how our natural inclination is to be joyful, even in the face of suffering and pain and frustration. So I, I, it's, I, and it's, it's been a wonderful thing. I uh, watched American Vandal. It was hysterically <laughs> funny. So good. So surprising. I love mockumentaries about mockumentaries. And, and it's so coming it, back for another it's season. It's an excellent series, so if you have a chance to catch that, yeah. on, uh, I saw it on Netflix. And then I think the thing that I, I am also uh, in, engaged in is just trying to get through the list of films that are all um, nominated, as you said earlier. This is award season, and so. But I, 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 I hate watching award ceremonies and having no idea yeah. whether something. And, and again, I'm, not that you can, can compare uh, the Greatest Showman to three billboards outside of uh, Ebbing, Missouri. But, but I think the idea of saying is this as complete in itself as itself as it could be and, and I'm, I'm appreciating trying to get through the list I was so excited to see the Golden Globes come out and I've watched every one of the winners that was an exciting moment yeah 
I'll add two things to the list myself, both on the subject of adaptations. Um, the first would be the Netflix documentary Jim and Andy, The Great Beyond, where uh, Jim Carrey, uh, it's a behind-the-scenes look at his process uh, making Man on the Moon, the, the uh, Andy Kaufman biopic from Which a few I years really ago. Which I really liked. I don't know how much of the documentary I buy versus how much of it is, is kind of them putting on a show, mm-hmm. but a, a good watch nonetheless. And then I would also recommend the book Finding Oz, which is about L. Frank Baum's life and how it influenced his work uh, in creating The Wizard of Oz. It's a book I've read several times. Um, as a writer, it's a fascinating read about how all these little uh, experiences from his life influence his work. So that's what I'm going to add to the list this week. Great. So there you have it. All right, well, Ape Essence performs one night only at Drama Shop, Saturday, January 13th at 8 p.m. Tickets are at dramashop.org. $10 general admission, $5 for students. One night only, so do not wait to get those tickets. And then Ape Essence heads to Indiana University of Pennsylvania for the KCACTF Region 2 with two performances on January 20th. Thanks to Sean Clerken and Elaine Ma- Elena Manchester, mm-hmm. I should know that by now, for joining me today. This is Shop Talk from Drama Shop, Theater in Process. <laughs>